0: This morning, thank you, worship team, for leading us today. Thank you for entering into that time of worship with them as well. And man, I, I tell you, the, the power of praise is a real weapon. Amen. Um, the book by Max Lucado that I referred to um, at the beginning of the service, I had a chance last night to be up in Redfield. So praise God, um, last night was the launch for Freedom Church Redfield Campus. Praise God. Amen. It's, um, I bring thanks from Pastor Drew Becker, from Pastor Mark Apple um, for the investment. We have given uh, $15,000 plus. Um, we continue to send monthly support to Pastor Mark and Jenny um, just to continue that work. And so last night was their launch service, and I was tired. How I many of you know what it's like to be tired? I mean, it's been a long week and I had a cross-country meet in the morning, and I have not run for a long time because of surgery recovery, which um, yesterday I should have probably only done two miles, and I ran three and a half. But, I mean, I just wanted to be everywhere, and I wanted to coach, and so I was tired. But there was something that said you need to be there. Um, we have invested so much um, in Um, I miss pastor mark and pastor john so much and so it was good to be there and to be a part of what god is Doing we're a part of what god is doing there Even our even though our name is not attached to it. We are there And so they meet now every saturday night at 6 30 And so i'd encourage you some saturday night make the drive. They'd love to see you I know you'd be an encouragement to them and uh, I know you'll be refreshed and and i'll recommend the audible book uh, by Max Lucado, he is he- help is here. <laughs> if you listen to that and Maverick City music on the way to Redfield and back, I guarantee you you're gonna have a personal revival somehow in all of that. So uh, let's just. I'll leave it at that. So once again, uh, connect cards are available in the back if you came in a few minutes late. Uh, there are paper copies. There's a QR code on the screen that you can scan to do a digital copy. That's just a way for you to connect with us to share information, uh, birth birthdates, uh, anniversaries, things you would would like us to know, prayer requests, uh, comments that you have, questions. If you want us to contact you, that's a card you can use uh, to get that information to us. You can leave the cards in the offering baskets that are out on the table, or if you do the digital one uh, we'll get an email about that as well house of prayer tonight at five o'clock at our downtown office encourage you to be there for that Uh, i'm sure it's going to include some ice cream after that as well because you know prayer is better when served with ice cream and uh, the Empowered Youth has restarted. So if you've got uh, teenagers or children in grades 6 through 12, we meet on Wednesday nights at the downtown location at 7 o'clock. And so please have them be a part of that. Or if you've got neighbor kids, send them our way. We'd love to have them on Wednesday night. Uh, again, coming up is our Trunk or Treat. On October the 30th, this is not on Halloween night this year. Um, the success that we had last year with the community community, um, Doing it downtown, blocking off Dakota uh, was overwhelming. We had uh, close to 2,000 kids that showed up last year. Um, We've invited businesses again throughout the community. We've got new ones. We've got the ones that were there last year. You are allowed to do your own trunk if you want to be a part of that. Um, Flyers are going to be available soon. You should start seeing them up all over town. Uh, Finances are needed for this. If you give online, you can give it to the local outreach fund, or you can uh, put it in the offering baskets, the local outreach or just make sure it's labeled for local outreach. Uh, We help supply candy for everyone. We make sure no one runs out. And last year, we took two trips to Walmart during the Trunk or Treat because we kept running out. And so uh, it's an opportunity to just bless our community, to be light in an otherwise dark holiday. And so uh, we encourage you to be a part of it. We need help with lots of different things that night, uh, taking candy to different places, set up, tear down. And so if you're interested or need more information, please contact me and I'd be glad to get that to you. Don't forget to stop by the table in the back. Lots of information out on the table. Uh, the books that, we, that I've recommended for the Revelation series, I want you to understand, um, we're going to spend about three or four weeks max on Revelation. So we're not going in depth. And the reason I've made other resources available is so that you could do the in-depth on your own. So if you don't want to go in depth, that's fine, but we've made those available. Um, You can purchase them, but I have to send them back at the end of September. So if there's any of those that you want, please make sure you stop by the table today or next week and make sure that you take those uh, because they are going back so that we don't have to be charged for them. And so we're just passing them on to you. The offering baskets are on that table as well. Ties and offerings and help fund this Sunday. Then there's a basket for Jeremy and Melissa Settle. Um, And if you want to give online to that, it says on there, it's guest speaker is the one you're going to use for that. And I'll share more at the end of the service about that as well. And uh, I'm going to introduce him to you in just a moment. But uh, there, again, stop by that table. Lots of information out there. And they have a table out there as well. Christy and I met Jeremy and Melissa at District Council this last year in April, and uh, they are going as missionaries to Japan. And uh, I've heard bits and pieces of their story, and I got a little bit more today. I love the fact that they were called to the mission field kind of in a way that we're not accustomed to. They weren't in ministry. They weren't looking to go into ministry. They were working in a local church as a layperson, just volunteering and serving, and God put it on their heart to go into the mission field, and I love those kinds of stories because I think God wants to do more of them, but we don't listen. We just kind of get locked. Into like, it's got to be this way. And God's like, nope, I'm doing all kinds of stuff that's going to mess up your boxes. And so I love the story. And uh, we invited them to come and share today. And we believe that as these people come and share the call that God has placed on, his, on their lives, just like the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippian church about partnership, we believe that partnership happens. So as they share their story and their call, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to cause you to partner with them in some way, whether that's financially, whether that's in prayer, that he's going to be able to use you as someone that's going to pray for them regularly or wake up in the middle of the night and pray for them. But partnership happens. And that's why we take time to introduce our global partners to you so that you can know them and that partnership can be created. And so uh, unfortunately, his wife was not feeling well today, so she couldn't join it. But we are glad to have Jeremy Settle with us, and so would you make him feel welcome as he comes this morning?
1: Wow, good morning. How y'all doing? All right, those lights are bright, and I am awake. Praise God. It is a joy and a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much, Pastor Tom. Thank you so much, Restoration Church, for having me here. Um, I'd like to take a moment to introduce my family. I wanted them to be here in person, and they want to be here in person. But um, unfortunately, sickness is the gift that keeps on giving. So um, this is my beautiful wife, my better half. I would not be here without her. She's the brains of the operation and the looks, too. It's not really fair, is it? Um, And then my three kids, uh, they're a wonder and a delight and a handful all at once. On the left is Finn. And the youngest there is Riah, and on the right is Hezekiah, and they're all about a foot taller than they are in that picture because they're kids, and they eat, and they don't stop growing. So um, here in a couple of months, they'll be 6, 8, and 10. So beautiful age, and they are really the joy of my life. God called Melissa and I to be missionaries, and in 2013, we went. We went as Pastor Tom said, we went um, we went to Africa. We went to an unreached country. I'll share some stories from there. Completely Muslim, one hundred percent Africa for two and a half years, and I thought that was gonna be the rest of our life. We were seeing the church planted, we were seeing God to do these incredible, amazing things, and my wife came down with allergies and we're like, God, what's going on? And how do you know how many of you know God doesn't always follow our plans? He's not really a respecter of our plans. We gotta we gotta get on board with his. Um, and he called us to Japan. And it's been a total blessing. So I want to share some of our stories and some of our experiences. We're going to be going back, hopefully this winter, to Osaka, Japan as part of a, we're co-leading a church planting team to one of the least reached countries in the world. Um, If you would go to the second picture, yeah, here we are. This is us on our first trip through Tokyo. Our daughter, our youngest there was adorable and a year and a half old. But how many of you guys, any parents in the house? You know, year, one and a half year old daughters aren't always adorable, are they? And shortly after this photo, she spent two hours screaming and crying, and we were stuck on the train, so we didn't really have a choice about it. Um, passing through Tokyo was quite the experience. You know, I don't know if you know, but Tokyo is one of the largest cities. might be the largest metropolitan area in the world. It's about 40 million people. Pretty pretty intense, right? And uh, Melissa, she grew up in Millbank, not too far from here, right? Population roughly 3,000. Um, so from 3,000 to 40 million, you can imagine it was a little bit jarring, uh, especially for her. But honestly, for me as well, there's no way not to be overwhelmed with just the masses of people. If you would put up the next picture, I want to show you. So Japan, if you're not familiar, is roughly the size of California, but it has almost half of America's population in it. So, if any of you have been to California and you thought it was overpopulated, just picture it with half of America in it, and then you have a feel for what Japan is like. You go to the next one. Tokyo, again, one of the largest metropolitan areas in the world, 40 million, these are the countries with a smaller population than the city of Tokyo. The countries with a smaller population than the city of Tokyo. So again, um, just a ton of people. And now picture yourself navigating trains during rush hour when you got little ones, one, three to five years old, you know, you're just holding their hands like a, like a death grip, right? You go ahead, put the next one up. This is a real common video clip of Tokyo trains during rush hour. Of, like, a cattle car, right? You just keep on moving them in. This guy right here, this that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> Make it stop. You know, we, we watched that clip before we went to Tokyo when the anxiety would ro- rise up in us. You know, as a parent, you have that feeling, that, that worry about what would happen if we got separated from our kids. Like, what what would you do? How would you find them in this mass of people? It's like the worst feeling ever. Anybody, any of your parents understand that feeling? You get that rock in the middle of the stomach, you know? It's a bad feeling. We were uh, in western Nebraska with my parents this last year um, during the summer, and a little boy went missing. And I remember my dad's a pastor there, and we're all sitting around Sunday afternoon doing nice family time. And he gets a text message, he's like, Hey, a boy in our town just went missing, Alliance, Nebraska, about 10,000 people just like Huron. And, and right when it happened, it was really a moment, I kind of froze in time, but I remember we all looked up at each other, and it was, you have all these thoughts and feelings just race through your head. Like the first thought, of course, is we should go help. Let's go, let's go help find this kid, because you have all these emotions, you're like picturing what that would be like if it was your own child, right? You're like, we should go help. But then, you know, the way our brains are worked, you have that instinct, and then you have the rational side, just like, well, let's think this through. You know, like, ah, I mean, where would we even start? We'd probably be in the way. I bet the, I bet the police have it handled, right? You have those thoughts, and that's, that's a normal process. That's a normal thought process. And I'm going to pause the story, and I'll come back to it. But I want to key in on that thought process because we were invited to join into this search, But the parents, did they have that same thought process? That same, ah, the police probably have it handled. No, right? Like, if that was me, I would have been gone already. Um, Because I know my kids, you know, they'd be lighting a building on fire or something. No, those parents were out looking. And they not only were looking, but they'd sent messages far and wide saying, please, come join us in looking for this child. The Great Commission, if you want to go to the next slide, is Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. If you would go ahead and read it with me. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. One more. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, that your heart is for the nations, that you've called us to join your search in the nations, Lord God. Lord, I pray that we would tune into your heart, that we would see with your eyes this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a man named Oswald Smith, and he said this. He said, we talk of the second coming, but half of the world has never even heard of the first coming. Half the world. Billions of people, right? And and, and these people, they go their entire lives I've seen it firsthand, people who've lived their whole lives never once having heard of who Jesus is. And and you have that thought of, as a parent, how does God feel about his lost children? How, How do you feel? I mean, you can only imagine how God feels about the billions of people who go through their entire lives, not knowing that he loves them, not knowing that he gave his life for them. I can't tell you how God feels, but I can tell you this for sure. I don't think he's like a, a parent who'd just be sitting back, waiting for his children to find their way home eventually. I think God is out searching in the nations. I think he's working in people's lives who don't know him, and he's drawing them to him. He's going after them. If you want to go to the next slide. Jesus, when he came to the earth, he said, he said this. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is that's his mission, that's his purpose. That is why he came. He came to seek and to save the lost. And what he was doing 2000 years ago, he's still doing today. And he gave us that great commission and he's calling us. He's calling us today to be part be hard be part of his search for the lost people across the earth. And when we when we're sitting around our tables at home with our families in, in the comfort that we have the knowledge of Jesus in our lives, What is our response? How do we respond when we get that text message? Do we let somebody else handle it? Do we just default back on, ah, I wouldn't know where to start. I don't really have the words to say. Or do we say, whatever help we can give, I'll give. Whatever I can do, I'll do, Lord. This morning, I want to talk about why it is that we go to the unreached. Why does the global church leave their place and go somewhere foreign, carrying the good news. Has anybody this morning ever been on a short-term missions trip? Got a few hands, few hands. I bet you have some good stories. I have lots of stories from my short-term trips, but most of them involve bodily fluids, so I won't share them. Um, I remember one of my trips was in Romania. I was a freshman in high school. Um, A little bit about me probably from the time I was about a freshman in high school, I started walking away from the God, walking away from the Lord. I was not, my heart wasn't really wholeheartedly committed to him, and I was really kind of doing my own thing. Um, I, I did a lot of things that you shouldn't do on a missions trip when I was in Romania. My parents were going, and we just kind of came along with them. Um, I, my first girlfriend was Romanian, actually. Things that you should not do, don't do that. Don't do what I did. But can I tell you, even as somebody whose heart wasn't fully following the Lord, just kind of taking this trip because it was go and see and see what the world's life can explore, you know, I saw some things that I had never seen. I saw need like I didn't know existed. I remember very clearly we were in Bucharest and uh, we pulled a van up and opened the back and had a big old pot of soup, kind of did a soup kitchen deal give people a bowl of soup and a chunk of bread and we pulled up and all these people started coming forward with masses of scars, kids, teenagers, with just masses of scars on their arms. I said, what's, what's going on? They have bags in their hands. And they said, well, these kids live in the sewers. So they don't have a home. They don't have parents. Nobody claims them. The government doesn't take care of them. They live in the sewers because when it's winter and it's so cold, at least it's a little bit warmer down there. But they've gone through so much pain in their lives. And they don't have food on a consistent basis. They, they take the glue and they huff the glue. And they, they use that to just dull the sense of pain, to the dull the, the hardship and the trauma that they've experienced in their lives. And when they're, they're numb like that, they just cut themselves. They cut themselves so they can feel something. And I saw that, and I was like, I didn't know that need like this existed. The first reason that we go to the unreached is because we go because the need is so real. The need is so real. On our prayer cards, if you guys would like, please stop by our table, grab one bucket on your fridge and pray for us when you see it. On the back of it, it has this verse, and it's one of our life verses, if you can go ahead and put it up there. It's Romans 10, verses 14 and 15, and it says, it says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? And Paul, in Romans 10, he's making a pretty clear point, not, not a theologically complex point. He's saying, if we don't send somebody to go and take the good news to them, that they will never hear and they'll never be able to believe. The need across the earth is so real. And, and it's an obvious point to make, but I still say it because we, we don't get it. We don't, I don't think we understand what it's like we don't understand the depth of the darkness across the earth. Japan, we talked about how big it is, right? We talked about how many people there are. The Japanese people are the second largest unreached people group in the world. That's roughly 124 million people who will go their entire lives without ever hearing about Jesus. Japanese people in Japan, it's about 0.3. So that's one-third of 1%. Of people who know Jesus. In fact, there are five times more evangelical Christians in North Korea per capita than there are in Japan. North Korea, one of the most closed, oppressive countries in the world, and yet Japan, 0.3 percent. And we talk about these numbers, we, we talk about the reality of what it's like to live your life without knowing Jesus, but it's still hard to get. So I want to share a story from Africa. Um, There was a day when when it really hit me. Because, I mean, I'd heard about the statistics. I'd heard I was living in a place where nobody followed Jesus. But it still didn't, the implications of it didn't really set into my heart. And we were living there. If you can go put up the next picture. And this is my daughter, Finn, when she was roughly three years old, sitting with her friends, and they'd play on the street. Um, And we wanted her to be around them more often. So we put her into a nursery school. And it's a Muslim country, but they told us, you know, don't worry. We're not going to teach your kids Islam. We don't do that. It's a French nursery school. It should be safe. So cool, no problem, right? Well, one day I'm going to pick up my daughter early, and as I'm walking, in she's in the far classroom. I passed the first class, and it's, these kids were all in trouble. You could, They're like, and at first I was kind of laughing because, you know, it's cute. It's not cute when you're the kid, but it's cute when you're the parent, when kids are in trouble, because you remember, right? and the teacher she's sitting down with a big stern look on her face she had a yardstick in her hand and right as i passed she slams it down on the desk i'm like whoa she says say it again and all the kids lined up together in a sing-song voice they said Allah is my god and right in that moment i had a total dad reaction I mean, my first emo, my first emotion was outrage, anger. Anger is the secondary emo, emo, emotion. Anybody know that? So under that was fear. Right? I was I was afraid. Is my daughter being taught this? Is this what's going on behind my back, when I'm not here? Are they are they teaching? Are they indoctrinating her? What's going on? Are they mistreating her? And so I didn't I didn't make a scene in that moment. I just went and grabbed my daughter, and I'm walking home. You know, just kind of stewing in it. I'm like, I'm going to go drop my daughter off, and I'm going to go give him a piece of my mind, right? I'm like, I don't know what to do. Should I take my daughter out? Because I want her to be around these people. I want them to hear about Jesus, but I don't want her to be exposed to this. I'm like, I know what I should do. You put up the next picture. My friend Muhammad lived in the town, a town about 10,000, about the size of Huron, right? And he was the only Christian in the entire town the only Christian, 10,000 people. And I said to myself, Muhammad will know what to do. So I went to Muhammad's house and I went to bang on his door. And right as I went to bang on his door, the reality of the situation has hit me like a weight of bricks. See, Muhammad had a baby girl. And Muhammad's wife had been threatened by her parents not to listen to him about Jesus. And so she shut her ears to him and she wouldn't listen to him about Jesus. And that little girl was going to be raised her entire life in a community where 9,999 people told her that her father was an idiot, that her father didn't know what he was talking about. She was going to be sent to Quranic school probably against his will. She'd probably see her father get beaten. She'd probably see her father get mocked in the marketplace. And in that moment, I was... Being such an American, you know, I was was so full of anger that my daughter might have been exposed to Islam a couple times. And yet his daughter would live and breathe that air her entire life. That's what it's like to be in a place that's unreached. Put up the next picture. We go because the need is so real. The need is so real. Real. And when we go to these places, we tell people about Jesus. As missionaries, it's, it's, it's sometimes a paradigm shift because it costs them something. It costs them something. When we go to somebody and we're about to share Jesus with them, we're sharing something that could cost them their lives. It could cost them their families. It costs them their jobs. What's real. I know of a young man. I just talked to my friend about him came to the Lord three years ago. And shortly afterwards, some men invaded his home. They took his wife away from him forcefully and his daughter. And they took her to a court of Sharia, and they forcefully divorced them. His wife then died. His daughter still missing from him. He was beaten. He's had several attempts on his life. He continues to be kidnapped, and somehow, by the grace of God, he continues to escape and this is what it costs him to follow Jesus. And, and you hear about the story, and there's a side of us that goes like, he was told that this was a possibility when he came to Christ. Why would he say yes when it costs him so much? If you would go to the next slide. Matthew 13 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Which a man, he, he, he found that treasure, and he covered it up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells everything he has to buy that field. This parable, it's about the value. The value that we have in the kingdom of God. The value that we have in this relationship with God. And those people in these difficult to reach places, these unreached places, they understand the value of, of this relationship with Jesus. They know that it's worth the sacrifice. Can I ask, do we have that same conviction? Do we have that same conviction? I, Growing up, going to church, I would get grumpy because I had to get up on a Sunday morning. You know, Man, forget about losing your job or anything like that. I was grumpy that I lost sleep. And I think we don't have an understanding of what it's like to be in these places. We don't understand the need. We don't understand the, the treasure that we have. We have something worth of an infinite price. The question is not why would somebody choose to follow Jesus if it would cost them. The question is how can we keep something so valuable to ourselves? How can we keep something that is truly so valuable to ourselves? Number one, we go because the need is real. And number two, we go because we have the hope that the world needs. We have the hope that the world needs. And I just want to take a moment and say... We're not the heroes. The world doesn't need America. They don't need our money. They don't need our culture. They need our true treasure the true treasure that you and I share. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ, a knowledge of God, a relationship with Him, dwelling in our hearts. That's what the world needs. Jesus is the hope of the world, Jesus is our hope. When we really understand that he is our hope, we can't help but take and share about him with other people. Is he your hope this morning? Go to, go to the next picture. I want to share with you about a man that I love named Pastor Masaki. This is Pastor Masaki here on the right. Um, one of my favorite people. Have you ever been around somebody who you're with them and you just feel good? They're always smiling. They're full of joy. And you're like, you got no right to feel so good. What's going on with you, Right? That's Pastor Masaki, and he'd make fun of my Japanese, but it was like the best thing ever. It was just you know, so much, so much joy. And one day we we're working in the office together, and in Japan you don't sign documents; you have a seal. It's called a honko, and so we were using the church's honko to sign some documents, to stamp some documents. And uh, he's he's there working with me, and he says, "Ah, oh, he's laughing. It's like you know, I feel bad doing this because it reminds me of of my past." He said, when I was younger and I was a gambling addict, I I stole my brother's honko and I went to the bank and I took a $5,000 bank loan out. And I blew it all gambling. When he said gambling addict, he wasn't joking. There's like gambling addict and then there's like burn all your bridges and spend 10 years homeless. Gambling addict. And that's what happened to Pastor Misaki. He was homeless on the streets. He burned every bridge. And Japan is not a second chance society when you've burned those bridges, you don't get second chances. But his family, they said, you know, we're gonna give you one last chance. We've heard of this, this program. And if you will try to go, we'll pay your way for a year. We'll pay for you. And it was called Teen Challenge. Anybody ever heard of Teen Challenge? It's a discipleship program. That's what it is. They teach you about Jesus. They teach you to follow Jesus. And that, that gambling addiction was broken And in three years, he was leading as the director of a new Teen Challenge site. Shortly after that, he became a pastor. He's now leading a church plant in Japan, planting a church, one of the least reached, least evangelicals in decline. But he has found the true hope. He found the thing that nothing else could change him, the hope of Jesus could change him, and it changed his life. And he carries that joy with him. When we go and we send, the reason that we do that is because we have the true hope that they need. The Bible says that you are the light of the world. It says you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. I want you to say that. Say, I am the light of the world. It's kind of heavy, isn't it? The light, not a light, right? You are, you are the one who carries the essence of Jesus with you in the communities. You carry that. And we have this opportunity to share this hope that we have with people who need it so desperately. And God, He's, he's calling us to join Him. Can I tell you, there's nothing better than answering the call and being an active part of what He's doing on this earth. The need is real and we have the hope that the world needs. What else is there to say? What else is there to know? This is a two-point sermon. But y'all are worried, huh? We have the hope. You know, if there's anything that COVID has taught us, it's that you can get tired of Netflix. You know, I when I was uh, younger, I walked away from the Lord for years. And I, I'm i not somebody to do something half-heartedly. I, I was like, I was walking away from God, doing my own thing. I tried everything the world has to offer, and I tell you, the world's got nothing for me. I want to be near to God. I want to be part of what he is doing. I want to know his heart. And God's heart is for the nations. It's for the lost. He is still seeking and saving the lost today. We're so excited about what he's doing. God's opened the door for us to go to Osaka, Japan, to, to lead a church planting team, to raise up new missionaries, new laborers for the harvest. Now, I tell people, we're church planting. They're like, oh, cool. And I'm like, bro, you don't get it. It is amazing. Because God is using the church to carry the good news into the darkest corners of the world that he can change people's lives just like he changed mine. We are calling, we believe that God is calling us to plant churches that are going to plant churches that are going to reach a very dark country, that they would know Jesus. You know, I, I come to churches and I tell them I'm, I'm a missionary. And sometimes people, I think they don't understand, or there's just this heaviness. Like, it's kind of a strange time to be a missionary in the world, right? Can we say that? Like, COVID has been horrible right? The worst political dissension that we've seen in my lifetime is happening. There's race riots. There's stories of abuse and scandal in the church, that, and that hurts me deeply. You know, there's war in Myanmar. There's violence in Africa, Muslims killing Christians. There's Ukraine and Russia going on, and sometimes, sometimes in this world that we live in, you look at these things that are happening, and you're like, God, what is going on? You look at the church and you're like, God, is this your bride? What is happening in this world? It feels so heavy. It seems like every time that you turn around, something is going wrong, doesn't it? Anybody else feel that way? Can I tell you this? God has never been surprised. He's never had to adjust his plans. COVID hit, a lot of us who took our calendars and threw them out, right? Not God, it was in the plan. He understood it. And here's, here's the most important thing that I want you to hear. God's not playing defense. He's not playing defense. He's not, the devil has not struck God a good one. God's active in this world. And he is today still seeking and saving the lost, and he has never stopped. The Holy Spirit is working in people's lives in ways that we could never see. God's heart is for his lost children, and he's not just sitting back waiting for us to join him. He is out there working and is inviting us. He's like, hey, guys, I'm at work. Come join what I'm doing. I want to share a quick story with you, and I'm going to close. There was a woman in Africa when we went there who is an alcoholic. We'll call her DJ. Um, now, if you don't know, in Islam, drinking is taboo. You're not allowed. And if you do, you're kind of an outcast. You're like on the edges of society. And so she, she was a pretty bad alcoholic. She couldn't break free. And she was complaining to her husband, who was a restaurant owner who imported alcohol, right? So match made in heaven. And she's complaining to him. She said, you know, I got to break free. But every time I pray to Allah in the mosque, nothing happens. Well, her husband had grown up, and he'd gone to church, and he'd heard about Jesus. And he told her, he said, I don't believe in that Islam stuff. You need to pray to Jesus. Now, he was not following the Lord, if you couldn't tell. But, and again, as, as, as a Muslim woman in the most unreached place in the world, she had no idea who Jesus was. But she was willing to try anything. So that night, she, she prayed, Jesus, if, if you're real, if you're out there, please Take this thing from me. The next morning, she couldn't drink. She couldn't smoke. She was healed instantly. And she was like, who is Jesus? Like, I've got to figure out who this guy is. Now, pause. This was November, no, January 2014. Our team had just got to these islands two months before, and we didn't speak the language at all. We didn't know anything. Again, Pastor Tom mentioned earlier, I wasn't in ministry. I wasn't a pastor or anything. So I'm still learning the ropes, trying to figure out what is this missionary stuff, you know? But the one thing that we could do is pray. We'll learn the language and we'll pray. And we'll just do everything we can. God, please do do miracles. Bring, bring people to come to know you. Please, God, pray that you'd intervene in people's lives. You know, and as a missionary, you go to these places sometimes, especially a place where we were, where. There hasn't been a church. There have been missionaries for 30 years there. No church. People would come to faith and fall away. They are pray, God, please bring a woman to faith. Because the women would keep the families together. If a woman would come to faith, the gospel could spread. And about a week after DJ gave her life back to the Lord, our teammate walked into a restaurant. And they said, oh, you know Jesus? Please tell us who Jesus is. I mean... We done all that work, right? We did all that laboring, you know. No. As Jesus said to you, we were, we were reaping in fields where we hadn't sown. We were reaping a harvest where the Holy Spirit had been planting seeds, where the Holy Spirit had been doing work. We were part of what God was doing. And can I tell you, that woman did not fall away when persecution came because she had tasted and seen the Lord is good. She knew the hope that she had. She knew the value of a relationship with Jesus. And not only did she not be silent when persecution came, she wouldn't stop telling everybody about Jesus. And in this country, the back end of nowhere, a church was born. That church is growing today. More and more people coming to faith one of the ladies from the group, their, their small group, when it first started, her husband was a sheik in a mosque. He was a religious teacher. And she came and she told us after about a couple of years, she said, you know, my husband's been sneaking my Bible in the middle of the night. He just came back. He, he came to the Lord a couple of years ago now. And I just spoke with our old team leader, and he's telling me, he said, hey, the people that we brought to faith are bringing more people to faith. That church is still growing and it's not because of what we were doing, but it's because we were tapping into what God was calling us to do. I started off telling a story about a lost boy. This morning, uh, we were sitting around the table in our, our living room. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, skip this one.
0: You can skip this.
1: Sorry about that. Um, we had these hesitations sitting around the table, this, and, and we were kind of processed what do we do about this lost child, right? But we said, you know what? Whatever help we can give, we'll go and give. You know, whatever we can do, we'll go do. So we went and we piled in the car. We started driving through the streets of Alliance, Nebraska. And it was the most incredible thing. Because let me tell you what, population about the same size as Huron, there was at least 1,000 people out on the streets, at least. It was crazy. There was people combing the cornfields. They were going door to door through the neighborhoods, searching the trailer parks. They were going to the playgrounds and calling this little boy's name. And that boy who was lost was found. I gotta tell you, that is what the church is called to do. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be that light, searching in the darkness that when the sun has gone down, we take our big old solar flashlight and comb the cornfields looking for the lost, telling that we have hope. That's what we're called to do. And this morning, God is calling his church. He's calling us, saying, hey, come join me in my search. Take your eyes off of what's happening in the world. And set your hearts on what I'm doing in the world. Set your eyes and your hearts to hear my voice. When you're out in your communities here in Huron, here in South Dakota, listen to what God is doing globally around the world. You know, I had no idea, but Pastor Tom was just telling me about the, the, the Burmese church, the Corinne church here in Huron. Who knew? Who knew? I had no idea that that God was doing such powerful, incredible things. This immigrant refugee population. But you know who did know? The Holy Spirit. It's no surprise to Him. And He's inviting us to be part of what He's doing. To be part, to be closer to Him. We go because the need is real and we carry this light within us. And we could partner with what God is doing. When, When we get that message, when we're around the table how will we respond? How will we respond? I want to give you three quick ways. The first way I ask people to consider responding is as Pastor Tom mentioned in prayer. You know, I think uh, prayer kind of gets glossed over sometimes. Anybody can pray, right? Can I tell you, when you give your time in prayer, you are giving the thing that is most valuable in your life. The one resource that you can't get more of It's time. When you give that time, you're saying, by faith, God, I trust in you. Not that I'm going to get it done by my power, but that you're going to get it done by your power. Would you pray for people across the globe, people like DJ, for people like Pastor Masaki? Would you pray that the Holy Spirit would continue drawing them to him? Would you pray for more workers in the harvest? Number two, This is a giving church and I love to hear about that. I love to hear about you guys planting, uh, helping plant a church in Redfield. Man, that is awesome. Please keep giving. Keep giving so that the church continue taking root in America and overseas. The gospel can't go forward without boots on the ground. And when you give, as Pastor Tom said, you are part of that. You, you you, You join in the fruit. You get credit. God sees that. He sees the sacrifice. And the third ask is the hardest. Will you go? Will you go here locally? But if God has given you a missionary call in your life, will you take those steps to investigate? Will you take those hard steps and say, God, I'm going to take a step of faith that I need you to come through, but I'm going to try to follow you. So when you choose to take that step of faith, you get to know God in ways that nobody else will. Cuz God will come through every time. But you don't know that unless you lean on him. Will you go? Maybe you're not called to go, but maybe it's your son or daughter who's called to go. And if it's your son or daughter, will you send them? Will you send the person that you love most in this world? Far from you so that people will hear the good news of Jesus. We'll be part of a community that sends missionaries out. I want to take a moment and pray. And while I'm praying, I just want to ask you to listen to the Holy Spirit. What is he he speaking to your heart? How can you be part of what he is doing in this world? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. God, I thank you for this beautiful congregation of light. Lord, I pray that you would make our ears sensitive to what you are doing in this world, Lord. I pray that you drown out all the noise, all the headlines, all the nonsense that we get sucked into, Lord. I pray that you would tune our hearts to your voice, Lord in our eyes, Lord God, to see the opportunities that you're placing around us in our lives. Lord, and I pray that our hearts would be for your kingdom, Lord, that we would join in you in reaching the lost, Lord, here and around the world so that every tribe and every tongue and every nation would know you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. You're, you don't have to rush out of this room. You're always welcome to stay. There's a lot to process there. Um, there's a lot the Lord may be speaking to you about how your personal life here or maybe what the next step is for you in life and how that is going to be impacted. And so, so much that could um, the Holy Spirit could be saying. So you never feel like you have to rush out. You're always welcome to stay. As you do leave today, I want to call your attention again to the table in the back. Stop by and grab a prayer card. Um, Partner with the settles in prayer. Put that on your fridge, put it somewhere you're going to see it and remember to pray for them. Remember to pray for the nation of Japan and the unreached people there. There are offering baskets there as well if you want to give financially to them everything that comes in that basket is going to go right to them to get them on the field to get them there as a church we have to decide whether we can support them monthly so that they're able to live in Japan and the way we do that is our global outreach offering every week or every month and so we've talked about faith promises in the past and I'm going to challenge you what do you give monthly in that offering because it's not just giving in a basket it's giving so that lives can be changed and that's the point of our global outreach offering every every month and so i'd encourage you to to make that a consideration today as well what you could do every single month to see the gospel spread around the world so the offering basket is there if you want to give online um, choose the fund guest speaker Okay. Guest speaker. If you forget, look at the offering basket because it says guest speaker, Jeremy and Melissa Settle. And so that'll help you remember which fund to use. And so thanks for being here today. And uh, I know that uh, so much in my heart that God has said through the day today. And so I just pray that it continues to resonate in your heart throughout the day as well. God bless you as you go today.